see each and every one of you here today. We are going to begin today with our first of four Advent services. Uh, we just wanted to tell you a little bit about that and why we do it. First of all, Advent is a Latin, comes from a Latin word which means coming. And so we look forward to and anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ as a, uh, having been born as a baby. We uh, look during this time of the year, we look toward that event and we should look at it ramping up our hope and our expectation of the coming of Jesus. We celebrate a single day, but there is so much that goes or that, is, that surrounds that event of Christ's coming and the incarnation of Jesus that we should, uh, it should demand our attention, we should look towards it, we should build up our hope and our expectation of what the coming of Jesus really means to us. And that is why we take time to... Uh, focus upon Jesus for an extended period of time rather than just for one day. We lift him up and we exalt the great thing that he has come to do for us. And so this year, as we consider the Advent season and the Christmas season, we are going to be looking at the book of Isaiah and focusing on the great prophecies there concerning Jesus and his coming. And so that's what we are going to do this year. Um, So turn your Bibles to Acts to Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7, and today we are going to remember that Jesus came and that his coming is nothing less than God with us. And so I light the first candle here representing the fact that God is with us. And every time you look at the, at the light, you can remember that during this first season. I'd like for us to read Isaiah chapter 7 beginning in verses 1 through 9. And this is, this is going to set up or establish the context in Isaiah chapter 7 in which we find one of those great prophetic passages of the birth of Jesus. So it says in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool, on the highway of the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Now that's Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and it gives us the historical context of what is happening during Isaiah's day. Basically, what is happening is that you have Uh, The people of God are divided into two nations. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and you have the southern kingdom of Judah. 
So there's a division between the people of God into those two. And then you have Syria, which is off to the north. And Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel, they decide to come together and to form a pact. And they are going to go down and attack the southern kingdom of Judah in order to overcome it and set up their own king. So this is the threat that the people of Judah are facing. And Ahaz is king and Isaiah is the prophet. So Isaiah goes to Ahaz at the encouragement of God to tell Ahaz he does not need to worry. Now Ahaz is not a godly king at this point. He is not walking in the ways of the Lord. He is not serving the Lord. And yet God is working in this way in order to protect him from the attack of his enemies off to the north. And that is the, the context in which we find ourselves in. And we move from this little context into this prophetic utterance of Isaiah as he comes to Ahaz. And we see a couple of things involved in this. And our first point this morning, that brings us to our first point, which is this. God, with, God is with us. He comes to us. Now, our emphasis this morning, like I said, is that God is with us. And our first point is that he comes to us. In order to be with us, he comes to us. Now, we have seen in our study in Exodus that God made a big deal about coming to live and to dwell among his people. This was no little thing. When they cried out to him, he came down to deliver them. And then when uh, uh, he was present there and they begin to go out, he, is, he shows himself with the pillar of cloud and uh, the... the fire, right? You all remember that? The fire and the, and, uh, the pillar, the smoke and, the, and uh, the fire. And he is there for all to see. And he makes a distinction between the people of Israel and the Egyptians. And he stands in between them, protecting the people of Israel and so on and so forth. He is present with them. When we looked at the Ten Commandments, we saw that God was giving instructions to the people on how they were supposed to live their lives in the presence of God. And so the first, of the, four, the first four of the Ten Commandments, they represent the relationship between God and His people and what they were supposed to do and not do if they were going to live with God there in their midst. And then the last six commandments have to do with how people are to deal with one another. But the Ten Commandments were given to give instructions on how the people were to live with each other and how they were to, to live, especially with God. And then there was the tabernacle. Moses was told uh, uh, in great detail how to make this tabernacle, this tent. It's called the tent of meeting where they were to offer their sacrifices to God, where God's presence was and part of it there. And every time they worshiped God and every time they had an offering, they were coming to meet with God because God had come to be with them. But even before that and after that, we see evidence of how God comes to live with his people or to be with his people. We could go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And we find that even after they had sinned, God was walking in the garden. And do you remember the question he asked? Where are you? Because they should have been with him having fellowship. And I imagine that they had had fellowship in the past before that sinful event in their lives. But they walked with God in the garden. And then, just to, to highlight it, we see, highlight, we see this angel of the Lord that appears over and over again throughout the course of Israel and the history of Israel. He appears to Abraham. He appears to Moses in the burning bush. He appears to Joshua. He appears to Hezekiah and Isaiah in this 
context, although it didn't happen yet, but it's going to happen soon. And Zechariah and others, you have this angel of the Lord who I believe is the pre-incarnate appearance or manifestation of Jesus on the earth before he was born as a baby. And so God, in all of these events and many more that we could enumerate throughout the whole Old Testament, God's presence was with his people. He came to be with us. And in each case, he comes to us. Now, this is really important. This is remarkable. Because if you think about it, who are we that God would even consider us or give us a passing thought? You know what I mean? The God of the universe, the creator of all things, why would he take a moment to consider you or me? As a matter of fact, the Bible echoes this sentiment in a number of passages. One of them is Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. It says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? And again in Psalm 144, verse 3, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you are mindful of him? And really, that's an amazing question. If I am thinking about myself and considering who I am, who am I that God would even think about me or concern himself with me? My life is but a breath and I am nothing more than a speck, an atom in the midst of this huge universe. I I am nothing. And yet, I am something because he has chosen to make me something. And so, he considers me, he comes to me. And this is what we see in the heart of the gospel. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it is this incredible statement that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And that's what we're talking about or considering during this season of the year when we think about the birth of Jesus. God loved us so much that he came to be with us so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the depth of his love for us. So what does this mean? It means that I can consider myself as being loved by God. Now, you might say, well, yeah, I know that, Pastor. But you know, human nature seeks to appease the gods in some way. I mean, you could look at every pagan culture and, you know, there's uh, whatever gods or uh, things that they have set up to worship. There is always this attempt. There, there's always this system or this structure of things that must be done in order to appease the God, in order to get their attention. And so this is just common nature. What are some of the things that have to be done in order to get the God's attention? Now, we kind of do the same thing, even though we're worshiping God, and, and it really looks like this. If, if I do what is right, then I will get God's attention and he will bless me. And if I do what is wrong, well, I better look out, you know, because his displeasure is going to affect or impact my life in a negative way somehow. And so we have this works-oriented idea or mentality that uh, based on how I do will determine on my relationship to God and my getting his attention in some fashion. And so we really burden ourselves in the course of our lives, you know, because we all struggle during life and we think, well, you know, if I do a little better, then he's going to hear my prayers and things are going to go better for me. 
And if I, when I do bad, then you know, I feel guilty because you know, well, I've done bad and that's why this bad thing is happening to me. And we just kind of go on living our lives and our relationship to God, we express it in this way. But this is not correct. This is only a small part of the picture. When I think that God is hearing me or not hearing me based on how I am doing, we are talking about a works-based faith and relationship to God. And it really takes out grace and mercy. After all, grace and mercy are unmerited, right? God's grace and mercy are undeserved by me. So, when we consider God's grace, He gives me grace based on His love and compassion for me and through the work that He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, the work that has completed the need for forgiveness. He has taken care of all of that and He gives me grace even though I don't deserve it. And so, I can look at my life and I can consider this. This is a truth. God blesses me far more than I deserve. Think about that. God blesses me always, far more than I deserve. And so no matter what stage of life that you are in, no matter what the circumstances of your life, no matter what right or wrong you have done, you are being blessed far more than you deserve. It's really not about whether you deserve it or not. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. He pours out grace because He is loving and He is compassionate. When we consider mercy, the same thing, the same truth applies. He punishes me far less than I deserve. That is God's mercy. He punishes me far less than I deserve. He blesses me far more than I deserve. He punishes me far less than I deserve. Praise be to God, right? For His grace and His mercy. He does not deal with me as I deserve to be dealt with. He deals with me according to the great love and compassion He has for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we think about God coming to us. He has come to us. He knows all our faults. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows the things that we're tempted towards. He knows it all. And even knowing it all, He has come to us because He wants a relationship with each one of us. God with us. This is what He's doing throughout the whole Bible. He keeps on coming to man. He keeps on coming down to this earth to people. He keeps on coming and visits us. He keeps on coming and speaking and keeps on coming and doing this and doing that. He keeps coming to us. So here it is this morning. You can run if you want, but there's nowhere for you to go to hide from God. He is on the hunt for you, and there's nowhere you can hide. And so he comes. He wants a relationship with you and with me. He wants a relationship with each one of us. Do not be afraid. Do not, do not run from him like Adam did because of his sin. Instead, fall down before him. Fall to your knees. Be broken over your sin. Tell him you're sorry. He already knows what you've done, right? Are you going to try to hide it from him? You can't hide. You can't run. Tell him that you are sorry. Repent of your sins. This is our part. We should respond in this way to the presence of God in brokenness over our sin and repentance. At that, 
and at the same time, we ought to thank him and give him praise for his part, his forgiveness, his blessing, and for the hope of eternal life that he has laid before us. He has done that. We cannot earn eternal life no matter what we do or don't do. We cannot earn eternal life. It is his work. He has done it all, and he offers it to us. If you're here this morning, rejoice in the fact that God is coming after you. He wants a relationship with you. Will you turn to him? Will you ask for the forgiveness of your sins? Will you allow his work to take place in your heart? And this is what God was wanting to do. Ahaz was not following after God, and yet God has coming, was coming to him in order to preserve him and his nation, his people, the people of God. So that brings us to our second point this morning. God is with us. He gives us a sign. God is with us. He gives us a sign. So he comes and he uh, dwells with us and he shows us this through a sign. Now this is how it worked out during Ahaz's time. So I'm in uh, verse 10 this time. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. And this is Isaiah speaking to King Ahaz. And it says this, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And, call, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that last word there, Emmanuel, at the end of verse 14, is the word that means God with us. And that's, that's where this comes from. God is with us. But what is God doing? He is coming to Ahaz, and he wants to prove to Ahaz that he is going to deliver him from the attack of the northern kingdom of, of, of Israel and um, from Syria. He wants to prove to him that he's going to do this. He's really going to deliver him. Because unless you have God involved, then it's like, well, is God with us or is not God not with us? I mean, don't we, don't we always think that ourselves when we pray to God and we don't have any evidence that God has heard our prayers? We start to wonder, well, is God there? Is he hearing my prayer? Is he going to do this for me or not? Or what's going on? I just don't know. He seems to be silent. But God wants to do something amazing. What is a sign? He says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord. What does he mean to do here? Well, he wants to do something that points to his power and his strength. That points to his ability and his presence among the people in our, and in our lives. It is something that is visible to point to something that invisible, that is invisible, that takes place, that we can't necessarily see with the eye. That is a sign. And so, for example, you have... In the Gospels, you have the paralytic. You remember the paralytic? He's brought with his four friends to Jesus in order to see if Jesus would heal him. And so they make a hole in the roof and they let the, the paralytic down before Jesus. And you know Jesus considers the man and he considers his friends. And he says to the man this. Now they want him to say, be healed. You know, rise and be healed. But Jesus does not say that first. He turns to the paralytic and he says this incredible statement. Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, that's not so hard to say. Your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because nobody can tell. Did his sins just get forgiven or not? It's not like you can just 
You know, he didn't, it's like he didn't have stripes on his skin that represented his sins, like a zebra, right? And then when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you, all the black stripes just kind of disappeared from the man's skin. Well, that would be visible, but that's not what happens. Your sins are forgiven you. Well, nobody knows. Nobody can see if that was true or not. So, So then Jesus does something more remarkable. Well, not more remarkable, but something more visible. He does the sign. And the sign is the healing of the man. And he says, so that you might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, rise up and walk. Now that we can see. Because all of a sudden if he says, rise up and walk, what is everybody doing? They're staring at that paralytic to see if he really gets up or not. Because if he doesn't, well, this Jesus is nothing. But if he does, well, that's remarkable. So, of course, the man is healed at that moment because Jesus has the power and he does the sign. And it's a sign because once the man gets up and walks, they remember what he just said. Your sins are forgiven. If he can make him walk, he has forgiven his sins too. It is a sign, a visible sign, a visible manifestation to demonstrate or to show that that invisible thing has also taken place. And so with the virgin birth here, this whole thing about a virgin giving birth is a remarkable sign because here is a woman and you know she is not married and she's never been with a man and all of a sudden she is pregnant, just as the prophet had said. That is the sign. And what is it a sign of? That God truly is serious about delivering his people. That he has given his son and that this son is going to forgive sins and deliver the people from their sins. And so, this is the sign. But Ahaz, like I said, he's not following God. And it sounds like he's being kind of, you know, respectful. I won't ask the Lord, nor will I test him. You know, it sounds like he's being respectful, but he's really not. He's evidencing his lack of faith. Isaiah, God through Isaiah, says, ask me for anything. Doesn't matter how high or how low it is, you ask me and I am going to do it as a sign to you. God was doing that. You know, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty amazed by how God comes to Solomon and says, ask me of anything and I'll give it to you. And, I, and Solomon asks for that great, uh, you know, he's, re, he's really, uh, uh, he asks for that great thing, right? Wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. But here, he's, God is asking Ahaz to do the same thing. Ask me anything. I'll do it. I I want to give you a sign. Ask me and I'll do it. And Ahaz says, no. So then you have that verse, verse 13. He says, you are are just making people tired and you're making me tired too. You ever know someone like that? It just kind of really gets under your skin and irritates you. And every time you're around them, they just drain you and just take all your strength away. And and this this is how God responds. I just... Ahaz, I just asked you to ask me for anything. What? You're not going to tell me? Man, you're making everybody tired around you, and you're making me tired too. So I'm going to pick the sign. I'm going to do it, Ahaz. So listen up. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, what an incredible sign. I mean, obviously, we're talking about Jesus Christ here, ultimately, the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. And what is remarkable, but remarkable, but remarkable about what God does is that when he 
does something, it often continues. I mean, the ramifications and the, the impact of it continue on for a long time, like maybe eternity. So, for example, he created, right? He created everything, and well, look, here it is, right? We're still in the creation he created all these many years later. He told man to be fruitful and multiply, right? Hey, well, look, here we are. We're children of you know, just one generation after another generation after another generation. That principle just continues to be in, in play, and it brings us to this point. And so whatever God does, whenever he speaks its word, his word, it accomplishes what he sent it out to do, and he continues to uphold and to sustain the entire universe. It is all in his hand, and it all continues forward in his um, powerful word. And so he does these things, and he uh, does them with impact. And so he has saved my soul by his grace, praise the Lord, and has forgiven me of my sin. And that impact and change will continue in my life for all of eternity. You see that? He has created in me, he has made me a new person, and I will be a new person for all eternity. What he does continues. And so he comes and he wants to show and he wants to demonstrate that he has done this great thing. And so we are confronted with this. Does God just ask Ahaz for a sign? Or does he seek to give us a sign too? Well, on the one hand, the answer is no. We should not ask God for a sign. We should not ask God for a sign on the one hand. Why? Because the sign has already been given. and It is good for all of eternity. Jesus died and he rose again. Our sins have been forgiven. His spirit has come to live within us. And by the way, the spirit of God living within our hearts is God with us. Amen? God with us. It continues to be true even to this day. And so let us have some faith in what God has done. Not like Ahaz, who did not have faith. Let us instead have faith by the presence of God who lives and dwells within us. We do not need another sign. If God never blessed you another blessing, not even a single blessing, would you still love him and follow after him? I hope the answer is yes. I hope that you don't follow Jesus because of all the good things that he does for you. I hope you follow Jesus because of the great work he has done for you that continues to work its work in you and will continue to do its work throughout all of eternity. That should be enough. No other sign is needed. Amen? On the other hand, you knew this was coming, right? Do we ask for a sign? Well, no on the one hand, but yes on the other hand. Why is that? Because God is doing a fresh work in our lives every single moment. We see Him at work. We sense His presence. We should expect the ongoing interaction and exchange with Him from now, this moment, onto the next moment, and to the next moment. It's like the relationships that we have, right? It's like we enter into these relationships and you have a spouse or you have a good friend or something like that and, and there isn't the, well, he was my friend 10 years ago and, you know, we're still really, 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 really good friends. That's not 
that. If you're going to be really, 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 really good friends, there's going to be the ongoing interaction between the two of you. There's going to be your doing for him and him doing for you, and you just keep on going like that. And so that ongoing relationship, that ongoing exchange, the ongoing activity in the relationship is what we would expect even more so from the God of the universe. There's going to be ongoing affirmation and ongoing activity on, the, on behalf of God. God did this for me 10 years ago. But my question to you is, what is he doing right now for you and in your life? That is the kind of thing that we're looking for. And those of us who have this uh, uh, scene of God doing all of these things, those are the ones that we look at and we consider, well, they have a good relationship with God. They have a good relationship with God because God is still doing things for them. They're still serving God. God's still blessing them. He's still pouring out His grace and His mercy upon them day in and day out. And so the grace of God comes to you today and the grace of God will come to you tomorrow and the grace of God will come to you the next day because God has a relationship, a personal relationship with you. And so there should be this expectation of God's evidence of His love in our lives every single day. Uh, the people that say, well, yeah, you know, when I was 10 years old, I gave my life to Christ, but there is no evidence of that in their life. We look at those people and say, well, you know, I don't know if they have, really have a relationship with God. We question it and we doubt because the expectation and the understanding is that if you have a personal relationship with somebody, they will still be present and they will still be doing things. And so let us go forward expecting God to act in this marvelous way where he gives us sign. Now, I, I know I, I'm using the word sign here, but I don't mean that he's going to do necessarily miracle after miracle after miracle. The sign is something visible that points to the fact that he is working in an invisible way. And so in our relationship, there should be a sign after a sign after a sign after a sign after a sign of his presence in your life and of his working in your life. And if that is lacking then you need to reevaluate where you stand in your relationship with God. So I always use uh, my relationship with my wife as an example. If I stopped doing things to her and if I stopped expressing my love and devotion to her and if I stopped being actively involved in her life, that would negatively impact our relationship, right? Right, yes. And so it is with God. The same expectation should be there. He is present we have a personal relationship. There's going to be this engagement over and over and over again. And that brings us to our third point this morning. God is with us. He delivers us. And really, this is the point of what God is coming to Ahaz for. He is being threatened by the northern kingdom of Israel, this pact between the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom, the nation of Syria. They have joined forces to attack him. He is being attacked the understanding is that he is not strong enough to withstand these attacks from them, but God wants him to know that he is with him and that he's not going to let them succeed in their attack against him, even though he's not been following after God. So there's a couple of passages I want to read here, and I'm not going to, I don't have time to get into the details of what they're expressing, but let me look first. Let's look first at chapter 7, Isaiah 7, verses 15 and 16. And then we're going to jump to chapter 8. It says in verse 15, For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and the good, 
The land that you dread will be forsaken by both of her kings. In other words, Israel and Syria, they're both going to be destroyed. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people in your father's house. Days that have not come since that day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now, this is pretty significant here. They, Israel and Syria, have decided to attack Judah, and God says they're not going to, not only are they not going to succeed, but within 65 years, they're going to be totally gone. No one could see that Assyria was coming, going to wipe out everybody, but that's what was going to happen. God was going to deliver them, and he was going to deliver them big. We turn to chapter 8, says in verse 8, he will pass through Judah, he will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, This is actually talking about the river. I probably should uh, go back a little bit, but I'll keep going. He will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of the wings, and he will will fill the breath of your land. And and here's here's the amazing thing. He uses that name for the child, O Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 9, be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear from all the far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Now, what we see from this is that if God is on our side, who can be against us? Right? He was with, he was with the southern kingdom of Judah. Who was going to be able to succeed in, in, in conquering them? Who, if God is there fighting for them? Nobody. Nobody. And this is true even more so for us, for you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. He has given us the ultimate victory. He has given us the ultimate deliverance. You and me through Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven of our sins. And there is no judgment that can come against us. He is Emmanuel. God with us, and he has covered, come to deliver us from our sins. Who can come against us? Who can attack us? Who can separate us from the great love that God has for us? There is nothing in the height or in the depth. There is nothing, whether physical or spiritual, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Won't you trust him today? Won't you trust him despite all of the attacks you might be experiencing? Despite all of the hardships that you are going through, whether it's health or physical, whether it's relational, whether it's because of your sin, won't you trust him today? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is here to deliver us. I want to close with this verse, Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. It says, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So if you're here this morning and you need to see and experience the presence of God in your life in maybe a new or fresh way, or maybe you just need to come back to it, whatever it is that is going in your life, won't you come before Him and allow Him to show Himself in a real way to you this morning, because He is with you. He is with me. Let us have faith in what God has done for us. Let's stand as we worship together.